Welcome to Reimagining Ceremonies, a podcast by Entheos. I'm Karen Dempsey. And I'm Fer Curtis, and we're here to start conversations about reimagining ceremonies. Good evening, I'm going to start with, because it is unusual for us to be recording in the evening. And we are here in City Sanctuary. I'm Karen Dempsey. I'm Fer Curtis. Curtis. And we have Dara Dempsey with us from Tenny, Transgender Equality Network Ireland. Not related. Not <laughs> related, yeah. <laughs> that we've discovered. <laughs> uh, but Dara, we're so delighted to have you here this evening. I think we should just jump in. Very jump in. Yeah, I think, like, I'm excited. This is my first time meeting Dara. Lovely to yeah, meet you. We you. have spoken off mic. Um, but I'm excited to meet you because you have been doing the training with Antheus for three trainings now, is it? Yeah. So. You've been two or three, three yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a staple. Yes. You're here. Yes. Um, and Core I've, curriculum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I've wanted to make all the trainings, but for many reasons, I just haven't been able to make it. So I've been really looking forward to this chat because I wanted to meet you, first of all. Uh, but then also, I've wanted to pick your brains and find out what actually, because the training has got such an, such positive feedback, but also has opened many people's eyes as to what Entheus really stands for yeah. and the kind of inclusive nature and how deep we go, shall we say. Yeah. But I think maybe kicking off just for people who might know you, do you want to introduce yourself? And I love what Karen always says to introduce yourself in a way that you would never introduce yourself, which I've stolen from my other podcast. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you uh, both. I am very glad to be here. Uh, my name is Dara. My pronouns are they, them, um, which you both know. Um, and I guess kind of in my official role, I am the policy officer for Tenny, which is the Transgender Equality Network Ireland, and we're the national trans advocacy organization. Um, and then outside of that, I guess I'm just a person, um, you know, various, I guess, interests and hobbies that are kind of interesting and kind of nerdy and kind of lame. And I could talk about, for instance, Formula One until the cows come home. Interesting. Oh but I'm conscious that's not the podcast we're on. Um, <laughs> but we welcome your passions yeah. <laughs> at all times. Um, yeah, I'm just actually back from, I was at a Formula One race last weekend. So it's very at the forefront of my mind, which is fun. Okay. Yeah. My housemate watches the Formula One on Netflix yeah. and I literally walk in and I'm like, no, and I walk out. So Honestly, that's as much... Yeah. And if you are not prepared to get really into Formula One, don't watch the show because okay. I have not known anyone who watched it. Who yeah, she, she was obsessed. Into wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I actually realized as you said that, Dara, I went room. <laughs> now I'm like, oh my God, edit that out for her, please. I'm, so I'm definitely not editing that noise. out. <laughs> they do. That's the noise they make. I was at the F1 race all weekend and I was going room. And the cars were also going room. <laughs> well, I used it's to live, bes- well, I, I grew up beside the Phoenix Park mm. and they used to do, um, it wasn't Formula One, but they used to do uh, racing in yeah. there. And that was the soundtrack to the weekend mornings was the sound of car engines, you know, Mm -hmm. rooming around the place. I actually, (laughs) um, I I listened to a Formula One podcast with these two girls and um, they were saying that um, one of them before, like she got into it, she had a boyfriend who was into it. And he used to, because they're American, the races are all on like at nighttime for them because most of the races Mm -hmm. happen like in Europe. Um, And so she, he would watch it like in bed. So she was saying that for (laughs) her, the like vroom was like ASMR go to sleep noise for, oh, for ages, um, which is so funny because I guess it makes sense because it's very like repetitive and yes. quite yeah. noisy, but also like on the other hand, kind of like high octane. Screeching. Really yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, A very jolty sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to actually start with, because you introduced yourself and you introduced your pronouns, yes. which yeah. I think is very important. Yeah. But I have found 
there was a period of time where it's like, we all need to introduce our pronouns. And for me, I feel like that has definitely slipped away mm. in recent times. I don't see it as much equal to like your Zoom account or Microsoft Word and yeah. people would have it or your email. Yeah. And I have it on all those things. And I do notice more recently, people don't necessarily show that as much. And I will admit that I don't necessarily bring my pronouns forward. They are he, him. Mm but I don't bring them forward as much as maybe I would have. And I'm like, is that a bad thing? Was I doing like the thing at the start being like, Fair Curtis, he, him. Yeah, Fair Curtis, he, him, he, him. Fair Curtis, I, I'm i Fair, I'm here. You know, yeah. and it just kind of dropped. And I, did, mm. am I dropping back into old habits? Um, should I be saying my pronouns? What is the reason? Like, what is the the benefits, I suppose, of introducing yourself with your pronouns. Yeah. Um, I am super hesitant to say you should be doing anything. I never want to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do. Yes. Um, I definitely encourage people to share their pronouns. I, I think it's a useful practice. Um, I think a lot of the time we talk about pronouns as, you know, a thing that trans people have and the thing that trans people need to kind of specify around. And like, obviously I just did it because, especially as someone who uses they, them pronouns, like I can never rely on people guessing that correctly mm -hmm. based on how I look, whereas other people can rely on, typically a lot of the time can rely on people, especially people who are not trans, can rely on people guessing correctly what pronouns to use for them and, yeah. and they don't need to specify it. Um, and so I think it's good for other people to also share their pronouns because it then, I guess then it means that, you know, like probably the only trans person in the room isn't the only person who has to do that. And I think it kind of normalizes that conversation mm. and it's a way of sort of, and, and it's, and it's also a way of just like opening up that conversation a little bit, because I know I've been, um, you know, certainly in, you know, uh, meetings or, or, you know, like meeting new people or whatever, and everybody's going around and they're doing introductions and like, nobody's doing their pronouns. Mm -hmm. And I am thinking as the circle comes around to me, like, am I going to do my pronouns or not? Do I want to specify this right now? and, you know, kind of get out ahead of it? Or do I not say anything? And then I have to kind of figure out how to correct people on it later. Um, and so I think when other people are able to do that and able to kind of share their pronouns, it just kind of opens up that door a little yeah. bit and makes it a little bit easier. Um, and then the other reason I think it can be useful to do that is because I think the, the conversation used to be much more around like, oh, you should ask people what pronouns to use for them. And I think that definitely can be appropriate, um, probably particularly in like a one-on-one -on -one kind of context with somebody um, or whatever it might be. But again, like in that, say in that situation where you're like in a meeting mm -hmm. and with a bunch of people you don't know, maybe for example, which is obviously why you would be introducing yourself. Um, and I think being asked what your pronouns are like on the spot can be really intense because you have to decide then again, in that same way, like, am I going to come out right now or not? Or like, what's the response going to be? Or like, what's the vibe here? I don't know these people. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. And so instead of asking again, maybe the only visibly trans person in the room, like what their pronouns are, offering out your pronouns, I think is a good way of like sort of stepping into that space. And, um, you know, maybe, and, and maybe as well, like sharing information in the hope that the other person will then share that information when they want to, or if they want to. Um, and you're not kind of asking the trans person to share something that you might not want to share about yourself, mm -hmm. you know? Because I think, again, sometimes the onus is, is always on marginalized people, whether that's trans people or not, to sort of, uh, advocate more, share more, verbalize more, vocalize more, and kind of step into a, an uncomfortable space. Um, and I think sometimes the, the onus is less on other people to do that. And I like to encourage other people to do that too. But I would never say you should do it. Like if you don't want mm -hmm. to share your pronouns, and again, anybody listening, like if you don't want to share your pronouns, that's so fine. Like you don't need to, you don't have to. Like I, I would never, it, you know, in, in exactly the same way that I would never 
like push a trans person to share their pronouns before they were ready to do that. I wouldn't also never push anyone who's not trans to yeah. share their pronouns if they didn't want to, because it's also like your own personal information totally as well. Um, and I think pronouns sit in a really uncomfortable place of, of being simultaneously like personal information, but then also kind of public as well, because it is yeah. to do with how other people relate to you and how other people speak to you and about you. Um, and, and, and I think gender in general sits in that really, yeah, that, that really weird position of being about you, but then also about everybody else around you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it can be sensitive how people want to share that or not. I suppose what's interesting for you speaking is it's about creating safe space for people, yeah. you know, but I did like the kind of idea of if you don't want to share them, you don't have to, because there was a period of time actually when I was training that I was, let's say, exploring my gender and it wasn't, it wasn't a comfortable moment yeah. and I didn't want to be, I didn't, I didn't know what my pronouns were yeah. because I was being told all these different things. And I think that that sometimes can be the difficult thing is, you know, people were telling me I was a certain thing or a certain pronoun or a certain gender, or they were like, no, you, you must be this it, cause that makes sense to us. Yeah. So then I went into this like, oh my God, maybe I am. And then you know, I was in therapy at the time. And when I spoke about it in therapy, I eventually, after a few months, came around and I was like, no, I'm just taking what people are telling me and internalizing it. But I've never struggled with my gender internally. Yeah. So my pronouns are he, him. But it was this really confusing time of being like, when your people are sharing their pronouns, I was like, but what if I am yeah. they, them? Like, what if that is actually my pronouns? And then, so it is kind of tricky mm. But I suppose if other people were sharing their pronouns, it is nice to also say out loud, you can just go, my name's Ferg. I'm not going to share my pronouns today. But if you do it respectfully, yeah. people will be like, yeah, cool. No bother. Yeah, totally. And and I think also you also don't even need to qualify that. I think sometimes like you could just say my name is Ferg and like leave it at that. Do you know, I think I just think it's um like what you said there kind of really resonates with me in terms of like, it, it can be like a really uncomfortable place to be to, to, to not be sure about something about mm-hmm. yourself and to not be able to sit comfortably with whatever you're going to say about your pronouns. Um, and I think that that's a space that um, lots of people occupy at various times in their lives. Yes. Um, and, uh, and certainly I have trans friends who are never particularly sure what pronoun feels good for them. Um, and, uh, you know, again, having that experience of like the pronoun circles coming around and I'm going to have to just say something, mm. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think it's it's about, I guess, um, kind of recognizing, I think that like gender is like a, a messy thing and it and yeah. it's very changeable um, and it's not always clear. And like we don't always have a very stable. None of us, I think, always have a very stable kind of sense of self or like the kind of true internal uh, you know, sense of who I am and that it does, it doesn't can change. Um, and so I think, it, I think there's something about sharing the pronouns that is useful, but I think sometimes we, it, we fall into a trap a little bit with how we talk about pronouns and how we talk about gender of assuming that it is e- even in the trans space where like your gender identity can change, but we do assume that there is some kind of a constant piece there. Um, instead of saying like, maybe you just don't know that day, or maybe you just don't want to share. And like, that's fine. And maybe that's because you're trans and maybe it's because you're not trans and that's also fine. Yeah. You know, so I, I, again, my piece is always around just trying to create as much space for people to express themselves or not express themselves in whatever way feels best for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's why I think, I guess I, I guess like I, I can outline the reasons that I share my pronouns and that I encourage other people to do that, but also, you know, 
I think that would be helpful. Like, yeah. I like, it's interesting because I think as well, when you're saying it's about creating that safe space, creating the open space for everyone, but also to create the conversation. Mm. Um, cause even I'm thinking back to like being in those circles and some people coming around and being like, my name is so-and-so and my pronouns are this, but I don't know why I'm saying this. I don't. And then the conversation starts and someone else might, might be like, well, this is why I share my pronouns and someone else well, I share it for this reason. Yeah. And then you can kind of, the conversation starts within them. Yeah. And then the conversation, you know, the wider conversations about gender yeah. or society or the patriarch. Because it, yeah, it can be that bit of just cracking the shell of, yeah. socially people are conditioned to just see two genders yeah. and they need people to fit into one or the other in order to kind of understand this is my worldview and it needs to be one or the other. Oh, and as you're speaking there, I mean, I just have this, it, the longing for this world where we don't have such a, such a what is the word need for everybody to fit certain boxes mm-hmm. that there is space for people to just be yeah. who they are and, and not I suppose, need an actual title on yeah them. even yeah. within the genders because like for me now I identify as a man I know my gender is a man I feel that inside but that I don't necessarily always express in the way people would see yeah. men expressing yeah. like I can sometimes yes. look very feminine I could sometimes feel very masculine but, you know, my only dry and clean top is something <laughs> that, you know, I'd wear when I feel more feminine yeah. or yeah. so it's kind of like breaking down even within the genders of, you know, man, woman, trans woman, trans man, non-binary. And a bit of creativity as well. Yeah. How, you, how you bring yourself to the world, how much that can be stifled by society. Being like, well, no, you can't do that. Sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you're gone too different if you've stepped. It's it doesn't make sense. Yeah. When you t- when when we talk about it like this, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. tomorrow, if some okay, I don't mean to really oversimplify it, but just say some fashion house says so for tomorrow, skirts are in for men. Suddenly, then they're going to be fine for men, and I say mm-hmm. men to wear say a skirt, something that's overtly fem- considered yeah. overtly feminine. Um, like fashions change and trends change, and that's okay according to society. But a person stepping outside of a norm mm. somehow isn't tolerable. The individuality somehow isn't. And I think it's the individuality is the thing. It's not actually the item of clothing or... Yeah. I don't know why I'm going down a side street here, but but that's a bit that really... I, I feel we stifle ourselves as a, as a society, as humanity so much, with these rules that we create about nothing for yeah. no real reason. Um, and I think one of the bits as well that I have to sometimes remind myself about because I, I, I got bombarded by the trans phobia and trans negativity is so insidious sometimes that you're nearly even I find sometimes it's on top of me before I realize that's what it is mm. um and I was going to say I was on a point there and actually I'm totally forgetting mm-hmm. what my point was but um oh yeah but this the piece the piece that brings me back always is that it's not about what people are wearing as their clothes or the way their hair is or the name they have or it's about who a person is inside. And for use of that exactly, like trans men are men, trans women are women. That's an extremely basic way of saying it. But it's because that person is a woman because they are a woman. Mm-hmm. Because they feel it's an internal they are thing. a woman. Yeah, yeah. Or a man or whatever. And I, I know there's there's middle grounds and everything. But it's not about putting on clothes and claiming an identity. And sometimes it's simplified in a terrible way. Mm that is very convenient for people who want to um, be aggressive towards people yeah, who yeah. are 
not meeting the, nor- the yeah. societal norms that they come up with. Oh, <laughs> I'm tripping myself up even. I get so, but I get so frustrated with this, just how But it's interesting it well, like, to just touch on the clothes thing mm. is for me, I'm like, no matter what you're wearing, it's about what you feel comfortable in. So if someone shows up in a dress or if someone shows up in a black bag or if someone shows up in like booty shorts and a dicky bow, like for me, you know when someone's comfortable in what they're wearing because they're expressing who they are through the clothes. Like the clothes are just an expression of who they are inside. And you equally know when someone's putting something on and trying it out and they're not quite comfortable. Mm. And then, and I, that's how I kind of treat clothes is I'm always like, do I feel comfortable in this? Grant, it doesn't matter what it is. Like do like, so I can show up to any kind of social event or work thing. And if I just feel comfortable and centered in myself, it doesn't matter what the outside clothes are. It's, it's about how I feel. And then I feel people gravitate towards that. Whereas if I show up in something like for a long time, I just didn't like wearing shirts and jackets because mm. I felt uncomfortable and I didn't feel like myself. And therefore I show up in a space and I'm not present. I'm not there. I feel stifled. Whereas if someone just let me show up, I don't know, like when I was younger, a tracksuit, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, but then I feel like myself and then I'm able to be there with people. And mm-hmm. But then sometimes the judgments come and then that stifles you. So it's a whole like kind of circle of things that I think if we just broke it all down and let people, if no one's hurting anyone, just express how you mm-hmm. feel inside. And then I know there sometimes has to be some rules you know, with certain events and stuff like that. Does but there, does, there, does there, I don't know, but I don't know. I'm so allergic to the rules. <laughs> I'm just, because we're conditioned to believe that the yeah, rules will protect true. us. That's, we're conditioned to believe that the rules are there for a purpose. And actually when you challenge them, they're not. They actually keep us in a place where we can't be who, and, mm. and I mean on all different levels. The rules mean you stay small. Or you, the yeah. rules mean, I mean all these rules that we have about gender, women should be like this, men should be like this. When you actually examine them, they are nonsense. Yeah. They are absolute nonsense, yeah. but we're conditioned to believe them as though they are real. And we teach our kids, this is, these are the rules. Yeah. We don't overtly say these are the rules. But by the way that we are in the world, kids learn the rules mm-hmm. and perpetuate them and perpetuate the limitations and the... <sighs> yeah. I, yeah. Was, um, I was coming to the airport the other day and I was walking through the kind of duty-free section and there was this... Um, a uh, woman coming behind me with, I presume her son, who was maybe like I don't know, five or so. And we were walking through like all the perfumes and stuff. And I think they, they, there was another kid, I think maybe like an older girl as well. And again, I'm using gender essential language, yeah. but this is, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Um, and they were like smelling the perfumes and um, the little boy was like, oh, I really like this one. Like this one smells nice or whatever. And the mom, um, again, presuming it's his mom, was like, oh, like, no, like that's not for you. You're not a lady. Like that's mm. not, that's for ladies and you're not a lady. And it just like, and I didn't, I couldn't really see them. Like they just were behind me, but it just broke my heart to hear mm-hmm. that messaging coming across like so loud and so clear to a young kid who perfume smells lovely. Like yeah. that's the point yeah. of perfume. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and for, and I think we all are told so many times in so many ways, like what you are doing or saying or experiencing or feeling is wrong for no reason, right? Just because mm-hmm. this is what society and we all have decided and created and perpetuate as being something that is wrong to do or say or feel. And like for a, a young, even like a young person that age, like why is that wrong to him? Mm. And, it, and, and to it internalize that as and something to internalize that's that wrong. as like yeah. I felt or done or said something that's yeah. wrong. 
And I think we talk about that a lot as it relates to like young trans people who might be expressing again, even when we, you know, um, there's been a lot of research around like say even like younger kids maybe like five six seven who are expressing like a different kind of sense of gender or whatever and are being told continuously like this is wrong and like when you're that age you have no concept around why would that be wrong and you're just being told that something that is not even inherent to you but just something that feels right for you Mm. and fun and good and playful or whatever is wrong it's just so um toxic i think to Mm -hmm. me Um, and it just feels so um, kind of, it, it's just it's just everywhere in the messaging mm. that we all receive growing up and as adults. Um, and I think again, your point around like the clothes, and I think I think as well when we think about clothes, um, like clothes are obviously so gendered, right? And and the, yeah. and, the, and the expectations that we have around clothes is so gendered, but then also completely coded around like class, completely mm. coded around like racial privilege, completely coded around you know all that kind of stuff that that we're expected to wear certain types of clothes to work. Yeah. certain types of clothes mm. to formal events or to weddings mm. or to, you know, whatever. And then it's other types of clothes that we maybe feel more comfortable in at home or with friends or whatever the case may be. And I know there was, it was a really interesting conversation about this during COVID when everybody started working from home was like, <laughs> oh, well, is it acceptable now to wear tracksuits or sweatpants to work? Oh, it's like, I why wish. Is it, why is it not acceptable <laughs> yeah. to do that though? Yeah. yeah. Like, why yeah. are we thinking that a, a, an item of clothing, because it, because the, the sort of web of, um, like social understanding around it is so thick that we can't actually perceive it as just like this is just a pair of trousers like this is just yeah. something that goes on my yeah. body to keep me warm mm-hmm. and dry and comfortable and your work output is, is your work output same. that's quantifiable yeah like, yes but your clothes and it's just so and I think and I think when you are and again I guess obviously speaking kind of specifically from like a trans and a non-binary perspective like when you are somebody who has interacted I guess with clothes differently over the yeah. course of my lifetime and interacted differently with like the way that people expect me to look mm-hmm. in work or at a formal event or whatever it is. And the way that people read you really differently and all that kind of stuff. Like you just get such a perspective on how nonsense it all is. Yeah, totally. Like fundamentally. Um, and and how, clothes should be fun. Yeah. So it should be fun to be like, let me be this person now or let me yeah. like not even be this person, but let me express like this to figure out another side of my personality. And that's what I kind of meant earlier when I said, when you see people wearing certain clothes and you're like, oh, they're not quite comfortable, but that could be a part of their personality they're growing into or they're figuring Mm. out. And it kind of goes both ways. Clothes can show people who you are, but also clothes can show you Mm. sides of your personality. Like it's such fun. And even going down to simple things like the colors and stuff like that, it shouldn't be limited yeah. because it should just be good crack. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think as well, like, I mean, I was walking around, um, like in some of the clothes shops and stuff in town today and even just looking at like what is available, right. And I'm like what's available in the women's sections is so different to what's available in the men's sections. And I was like yeah. walking around kind of through the women's clothes or whatever. And I was upstairs in the men's clothes. And like, as soon as I got up to the men's clothes, it was like cargo trousers and like exercise clothes. Mm-hmm. Right. And like fleeces or whatever. Yeah. And it's just so, like, it, like the, the options yeah. that we give ourselves are so limited that it limits, I think, what we can imagine for ourselves yeah. and it limits what mm. we can express um, in such a, it's just so like we're, we're just perpetuating and creating this whole yeah. cycle all the time. Um, and I love what you're saying about like growing into an, a type of expression, a, a self-expression. And I was having a really meaningful conversation with somebody really close to me recently who, you know, was expressing like, maybe I don't feel like I am, you know, the gender that I was assigned at birth, like I don't know how, but, but was expressing a sort of confusion or, um, 
I guess maybe like an uncertainty about how they could kind of step into expressing that yeah. and how they could step into using a different pronoun or like using a different identity kind of label or like what would that feel like and was like but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel like totally right to me and and I kind of was I felt really privileged to be able to sit there as someone who has been through a lot of this journey I say that with extreme like I'm so aware that I have a lot of life yet to go um <laughs> you know but it has been through a lot of this and and to be able to kind of sit on the other side of my own journey around a lot of that stuff and to say like it doesn't need to feel totally right for you right away mm. like it can be like even something like changing your pronouns it probably is going to feel really weird and changing your name yeah. probably is going to feel really weird for you. And maybe it won't, but you know, for me it did. And like, that's okay. And it can yeah. be something that you grow into and it doesn't need to feel, I think like 100%, these are the pronouns for me. It can feel like I'm going to try this. And I'm going to see if it feels better. And I'm going to see as I continue using it, does it continue to feel better or, or not? And like, that's okay. And I think again, around how we express ourselves around the clothes and, and stuff, if we just had more space to try out different things without mm -hmm. fear of judgment or rejection or abuse or harassment, mm. then I think we would all be more free mm. personally. Yeah. And I think that comes up a lot and it's coming up a lot more, it seems to be more recently. Um, I, when I say that, I mean, it, we're seeing it spoken about more at the moment is kids, mm. young kids who are saying, you know, they're not feeling like they align with the gender they're assigned at birth. And obviously that's not what a child's going to say. A child's going to say, no, I, just, I feel like X or Y. Um, and they want to express that through clothes and they want to express that through maybe makeup or hairstyles or whatever. And how jarring society finds that mm. and how intolerable society finds that. And a lot of it is, to give compassion to that, I think a lot of it is parents wanting to protect their child. Oh yeah, it's from, total fear. From the, yeah, from, from society and rejection and all that. But how much society does not support those parents in the struggle yes. that they're going through so that they can then support their child. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned that about, you, you know, pronouns and names and things like that and clothings and way of presenting a person, it's not permanent. Mm. People talk as, though, as if a child might experiment with actually presenting as a different gender or doing or dressing in a certain way. That doesn't have to be that for the rest of time now. Yes. They can actually get a little bit older and change back or forward yeah. or, you know, <clears throat> and I'm not even meaning to say grow out of it. I genuinely don't mean that, but, but that there is a degree of just learning yeah. and trying and... I wonder if you would be able to figure things out for yourself um, or have more clarity without the pressure and the judgment and everything else coming from the outside. If you were able to just be like, could I be this? Mm, I'll try this. I'll do this. And oh no, this isn't me. And you're kind of able to move through the exploration a little bit more freely and creative because you're not thinking, yeah. what will so-and-so think? What will, you know, my parents think or my partner think or, you know, and you're actually dealing with everything else yeah. bar just being like, could this be possible? Without having to actually come out yeah. over and yeah. over again like, <clears throat> and tell people this is what I'm doing. Da, da, da. Like, just be. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. I mean, something that we, um, you know, Tenny does a lot of work um, around family support, um, both in terms of support for young people, um, young trans people, and also in terms of support for parents. Um, I, and I, I guess I would mean parents of trans people um, and we have support groups for young people and then we have like sort of twin support groups for parents and I think it's, it's really a core value for us that parents have that support and I think so many of the resources that are out there for parents are specifically around helping parents to understand their young person and helping parents to you know come into the right language and like all that kind of stuff but there's very little around 
how can we actually hold what is happening for parents emotionally yeah. in that space? And I think it's something that can be quite difficult to talk about and to talk around, especially when you have parents who are really supportive and they don't want to feel like they're expressing, um, you know, like, a, like a, a perspective that's not supportive of their young person, but they might still be having an emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. And like, we just need to be able to have space for that. And I think that's something that's really important around the work that, that Tenny does. But um, Well, I suppose my it. parents... Yeah. Like my parents are from a different generation. So they were given different values and different ideas and stuff like that. And actually, one of the things that happened to me as a kid, um, they took me to therapy when I was about six. And it was around me kind of wanting to play with Barbies or wear dresses or all these different things or like, you know, do the things that my sister was doing. Um And they took me to therapy and I don't remember much about the therapy, but I remember the therapist asking me, do you want to be a girl? And I remember being so confused and being like, why would you ask me if I want to be a girl? That's so, like, where has that come from? Like, that was my, obviously, more articulate (laughs) words now, but that was the feeling I remembered. And that was one of the things that helped me remember or helped me figure out that I'm like, no, I'm a man. I feel like a man just because I wear this or do this or act like this, it brought me back to that time when I was looking at the therapist going, why would you ask me that? Like, that makes no sense. Mm. But I kind of held that for years and years and years. and be like, why would my parents take me to therapy? Like, so ridiculous. Or, you know, I don't know, just being like, you know, why would they do that? Why couldn't they just accept? But actually it was during COVID that I had a chat with my mom about it and it was completely because they're like, but we didn't know what else to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, they had all this fear around it, um, even around their kid being gay, because that's not the society they grew up in. And both my parents were guards. So yeah. they're from a, you know, an establishment that, listen, I won't get into yeah. it. Well, it's right? a uniformed establishment. It's a uniformed yeah. establishment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I remember like, God, I never thought of it from that side of things. Yeah. And then my mom said to me, after the therapy session, they asked the therapist, well, what, what should we do? And they're like, just take away the girl's stuff and he'll be fine. Yeah. And my mom said, and I walked out and I turned to your dad and I said, well, that's the worst piece of advice I've ever been given. And we're just going to let him do what he wants. But I never knew that side mm-hmm. to the story. Mm-hmm. And I internalized something else. So thinking back to that little boy in the perfume, I'm sure that mom is just trying to protect him and be like, I just want you to be okay in this world that could absolutely attack you and eat you up. But little, like she can't explain that to him. But actually, if she opened up the conversation, she might actually be like, well, I don't want you to do that. Actually, just go and do it because I'm being ridiculous. And And I'm I'm putting my adult fears totally you without any maybe need to do that and i have had very similar experiences with with my mom who certainly would have struggled a little bit when i was kind of first coming out like as a teenager not not even as non-binary just as bi or as queer Mm -hmm. and um and it was only kind of in conversation like years later that we were able to sort of have a conversation about it that wasn't kind of in the, the kind of fresh kind of space mm. after I had yes. initially come out to her because you know after kind of a few years had gone by and we had sort of established that like we're okay this is okay we were able to have more of a conversation about what was happening for her in that space and you know I as a teenager did not at all have the perspective that she had which was you know that she again grew up like obviously in a different generation to me and her growing up you know and she would have been 
you know, in her 20s, kind of throughout maybe the, the late 80s. And that was like, the AIDS epidemic is happening and it's illegal to be gay. And mm. there's underground nightclubs that are being raided by the police all the time. And yeah. like, this was her image of being gay and being queer and what this life meant. And so when I was coming out to her, that's what she had in her mind. And that's what her fears were. It wasn't that she was rejecting me or, or any yeah. of that. She just was worried about what this life meant for me. But then for me as a teenager, I was not able to hear that without hearing it's a rejection and hearing this like, oh, like so outdated mom to think that like being queer is always like a bleak and awful yeah. lifestyle when that's not what my experience is. And we, we were just, we were in, I think at that point in such a kind of a gulf between like her perspective and my perspective. And we just were not able to make those meet until maybe a few years had passed down the line. And then we were kind of able to, to have a conversation about it. And I, I just think it's so useful to be able to support again, you know, whatever, like, but for, for, I guess for the parents to be able to support the young person, for the parent to also have support elsewhere. Yes. Mm. And then working through what's happening for them emotionally in that space and maybe being able to recognize that, like, that may or may not be a concern now. You know, I don't think it's a concern now, for example, that, you know, it's illegal to be gay anymore. Certainly, I think there are safety concerns about being trans and certainly as well about being queer more broadly, mm -hmm. but not in the same way that it was in the 80s. And like, there isn't, for example, like the AIDS epidemic is not the crisis that it was like now that it was at the time I mean HIV rates are on the rise but it's a totally different landscape and so I think there's just a really important piece there around everybody in that space being able to um you know again particularly like in a parent-child dynamic but I guess in any kind of relationship you know being able to recognize like what is the perspective that you are bringing to it and being able to hold space for like the other person might be having something else going on emotionally and we need to be able to mm. get support it's like for the parents to have support outside of that um, and probably also for the young person too, and then for them to be able to like meet within that relationship and support each other there, I think is important. Yes. And for the parents yeah. to get a sense of what they have internalized as totally. their rules that they might not even be aware of at all. It's for, such an opportunity for yeah. the parent to challenge their own yeah. internalized, um, you know, stigma. Yeah. And it's such an opportunity for them to heal and grow. It's like, revolutionary to think yeah. if, people, if more people would start exploring what they've internalized without, it's not without question, but unknowingly internalized, I mean, that's when we start cracking into mm. what what is turning the wheels of society at the moment. Yeah. I had a I had a, a such a fascinating conversation with again my mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. I must send her the link for this podcast. <laughs> um, such a fascinating Hi, conversation with my mom recently, um, where she was telling me um, kind of what my granny, her mom, had how she had spoken to her about sex and relationships and marriage, and you know, the, the messages that my mom had received from her mom about what sex means and the values around virginity and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and how she had internalized that and then how she had tried to work through that as she was talking to me as I was growing up about sex and relationships and, you know, you know, being safe and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then it was, and I was able to kind of share around like, well, some of these are some of the maybe slightly more harmful or not harmful, but I guess maybe the things that the, the lessons that you gave me that I needed to unpack then later on mm. down the line. And, and yeah. just being able to look at that, the time span, the generational, that, the generational yeah. piece of like my granny, who is thankfully still alive and well. And even within that time frame of like those three generations, the way that we think about sex or whatever it was that we were talking about and marriage and all that kind of stuff has totally changed. Mm. Um, but that, that all has to be unpacked across like one person, like yeah. people's lifetimes. Yeah. It's just so, you know, I think we think about change as, as being this, thing that happens like really quickly and, and and i think you know again in many ways like we have changed hugely over the last few generations but then also over the course of the human 
yeah. race mm-hmm. in a very short amount of time. And well. it's not even that like, oh, the further you go back, the more strict things were. No. That's not true. That's not Actually, true we, we inflicted these restrictions on ourselves over yeah. years. Um, and I will always go back to things like churches, things like states, things like all these rules that we took on or, th- or that were imposed upon us. Colonization, all oh, these yeah. things that impact um oh, the generational impact of all this really, really fascinates me. And, and it's up to us to actually reclaim and, yeah. and change the, back what we can. The history of colonization and gender is so fascinating. Oh. Um, I am reading a really interesting book at the moment um, called Before We Were Trans by uh, Kit Hayam. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and it's just looking at like how we have thought about, it's, it's kind of looking at, or yeah, looking at, I guess, like our ideas around gender over time and sort of looking at how we think about historical people who may or may not have been trans and sort of problematizing, like, you know, can we put today's language on people who lived centuries ago? Mm. The author doesn't particularly think so. I don't particularly think so either. But looking at people who maybe have lived historically in, I guess, various kind of gender non-conforming ways and what that meant in different time periods. And they, I mean, I'm only a few chapters into it, but they made a really fascinating point around the way that we talk about gender now and particularly the language we use around like the gender that you identify as versus the gender that you were assigned at birth mm. and to talk about the gender that a person was assigned at birth becomes meaningless even whatever like a century or two ago because two centuries ago we were not recording gender birth because there were no birth certs and so mm, like looking at yeah. it from like a and i and I'm a, I'm a materialist right so like looking at it from a materialist history perspective and looking at the way that the state for example introduced the concept of birth certs totally changed how we think about gender and totally uh made gender this really rigid kind of mm. kind of reified thing literally black and white literally black and white and has had these huge material impacts in terms of how people experience their lives in terms of again particularly horrific kind of histories and, and still now contemporary contemporaneously around the um the the quote-unquote corrective surgeries that are you know um mm that are done on, on intersex infants that are born to, to mm. quote unquote correct them so that they can record a gender on a so birth they can take a box. Yeah. So they can put something on a piece of paper. Yeah. And, it, and it's just fascinating to me how that whole process comes from outside of us as individual people and from the state, or as you mentioned, from the church or from the kind of the colonial empire and from mm-hmm. like the institutions that are around us that function to put us into these boxes that don't mm. fit hardly any of us yeah really yeah. and capitalism we'll have to mention that because they want us to get jobs and work yeah <laughs> <laughs> i left the house today and my housemate was there and she works from home and uh, she was like oh why do you have to go like i'm bored you know you know just stay at home skip it and i was like no i have to keep working for very little money and you have to keep not working for loads of money <laughs> she's on the right side of capitalism. yeah she's on the right side exactly that's capitalism. um i'd love to switch the conversation just a little bit so karen i'd love you to a- answer why did you in particular bring tenny and dara into the um into the training the space. And the training space. Yeah. yeah, and then Dara, what have you found is the importance of being in the space with upcoming celebrants? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh that's a big question and it's a, a juicy one. Mm-hmm. So I'll try and get this into a nutshell, which I'm not really very good at. But when we began, as the training was going, was growing, it began growing at a, at a faster rate than I had initially anticipated. Um, and the training has always been called feministry training from the very beginning because the intent setting up Entheos, a lot of the intent was about swinging the pendulum back from patriarchal um, 
institutions around marriage and um, ceremonies and all that. And back towards uh, a space that is more feminist in, in, in ethos and can hold the capacity for equality and inclusivity. And also, in honesty, I liked the term, I liked fe- the word feministry because it's feminist and ministry nicely blended, yeah. which, is what, which is what we're going for. Genius. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a really good fit. And I didn't really know where it was going to go at the time, you know, at, at the very, very beginning. But one of the things that I quickly learned is that the word feminist now, does, it, has a, it has an edge that it didn't have, that, that is a recent addition, let's say, to my ex- understanding and experience of feminism. So I found I, the people were applying for this training and they were speaking the completely right language and they're all about inclusivity and all about, you know, wanting to be the change in the world and all about what I would understand as feminist and feminist approaches. And, and I say this in terms, this is not about gender. This is about worldview, really, is what we're talking about with, with mm-hmm. feminism. Because sometimes people say, oh, do you train men? And of course we do. We've lots of amazing men in our, in our training and non-binary people. Um, but... Uh, I started noticing this new piece coming in and it was around people who very proudly and strongly uh, identified as feminist. Um, but it became apparent quite jarringly and quite suddenly that they had an edge around trans people. They were inclusive until it came to the T in LGBTQ+. Um, so... That was a real shock to me. Now, I, I was familiar with TERFs. Through repeal, really, was when I really realised, oh, this is a real issue. Um, because that was such a feminist issue and such an overtly feminist issue and campaign. Um, so I started seeing this coming through into the organisation with people coming through who... who and, and some of them didn't realise this, really, I suppose, until the conversation started. And I was doing this initially where I would be speaking and training. Um, and then I'd be trying to navigate some of the issues and I would... I, I began to realize, okay, I don't have the level of knowledge and insight and expertise and lived, and lived experience of, mm-hmm. of what I'm trying to help people understand. So the obvious thing for me then was to make contact with Tenny, with the Transgender Equality Network, and um, ask, could somebody please come in and run a session with the trainees? Because also I felt it was unfair of the organization to expect people to have a level of knowledge unless there's actual training about it. Um, and the onus was on us to provide the training so that people can really have the level of understanding that we wanted and needed um, and that they want and need when they go out to hold ceremonies. So that's how I managed to get in touch with uh, Dara. Um, uh, Dara came out to hold the first afternoon session. Which was and quite was like, late in the training yes, at that point. which was. Actually, so that's right. We were we were a good way through that training. And, um, and, and yeah, this was becoming more apparent. So... I realized, right, we need to actually, we need, that's when I realized we need to provide an actual training, an overt training on trans issues. Um, so we had that session and um, it brought a lot to the surface for some people. Um, but it was really great because it felt to me like this was simmering under the, under the surface. And in, I, I wanted this organization, we don't want to have things simmering under the surface. We don't yeah. want people, sometimes there is a degree of people wanting to join this organization in order to get on the register of solemnizers. And that is never what we're doing with this training. This training and this organization is about being the change we want to see in the world. It's about making an impact. It's about being a social enterprise. Um, and sometimes having the carrot of 
a, a part of it is that we are we can hold legal marriages, which is a great piece, but that is a small piece of the jigsaw. Um, so I didn't want people kind of keeping their beliefs to themselves until they got over the finish line and were able to, to hold legal ceremonies. And then we'd hear this piece about, you know, yeah, everybody's fine except trans people. Because it's just, in, I, I can't tolerate uh, and I'm going to use that word and I know people would come down hard on me probably for saying I can't tolerate that because tolerance is but I can't it, we have to in order to be truly inclusive we have to make a stance on what we mean by inclusivity and that became very apparent so we are a trans inclusive organization there is no negotiation on that we are a trans inclusive organization and our people need to be safe people when they go out into the world mm-hmm. so our people need to be people who are willing to challenge heteronormativity who are willing to use inclusive language in all of their ceremonies in their life and in their life as baseline. Not, I'm going out now to hold a 30-minute ceremony, I'm going to switch on my inclusive language um, if I want to. We want it to be an actual lived lifestyle and way of being. And that doesn't mean, I mean, I don't want people to feel like they have to be watching themselves all the time, but but that it comes from a genuine place. Yes. Um, And having the sessions with Tenny, who happened to be through Dara, because Dara was the person who came to us, um, really, really helped to let people... It showed people, it let them see this is what we're talking about. These are the issues. This is the reality. This is the truth. These are the stats. These are the figures. This is what life, this is a snapshot, a little look into this is what life is like for a trans person in Ireland and in the world, but but in Ireland really, I suppose. Um, and people, like our people really loved that. They, it felt like, okay, now I see what, what we're actually, now I see what I'm standing up for. I think actually in some ways, that's what people really found helpful was to go, this is why it's important. This is why we need to make a stance. And this is why we need to be really clear about this. Because sometimes I think people are fearful to ask the questions because yeah. they're like, I mustn't ask the questions. Yeah. I I'll just, show what I don't know. I'll just show up and be inclusive, but I don't actually yeah. understand. Yeah. And then once they're given the information, the information, they're like, ah, okay. Yeah. Now I know what I'm yeah. standing up for. Because you can understand people being afraid to ask a question in case it makes them look like they don't of know. Of course. A whole lot. And it's okay. That, I think that was the ethos we really wanted to get out there as well, is that it's okay to not know. Yeah. It's the willingness and the intention is what is yes. important. The willingness to learn, the willingness to change, the willingness to challenge yourself, um, and the willingness to bring yourself to an edge where you go, okay, actually, this might be as far as I go. And if it is, thank you very much, but this isn't the organization for you with lots of... I'm going to say with love, um, as long as you're not hurting or harming anybody overtly in that piece, but we release people then uh, to, to really go and do whatever they're... There's yeah, also the doing. space in the training to go, this is where I'm at at the moment. I yeah. want to grow. I want to move forward. And the support is there for that and the understanding that it's not necessarily you, it's what you've been taught and what you've learned, yeah. but that willingness to be like, no, 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 I want to fight this yeah. internalized stigma myself and move forward i think that that's welcome as well so yeah. don't like we'll hold people's hands as they yes. do that we want to be supportive um, we, and we and that's what it is i suppose about being the change you want to see in the world is about helping to bring people forward and also we don't we say this so i find myself saying this so often in these podcasts we don't want to be the only organization doing this we want to lead by example so i mean every organization i believe should be taking a stance like this, should be really overtly stepping up to yeah. to be an ally in whatever way we possibly can and to and to live these values overtly and visibly. Um, so, I mean, even I think through these podcasts, it's lovely to have you on, Dara, as well, because other people from outside of our organization can listen and mm. can learn and can make contact with you and can... Um, mm. 
yeah, can be the change. (laughs) So Dara, then you coming into this space, like I suppose originally were you like, what am I going? Or, well, you do this. So you go into organizations and companies to speak about this stuff. But I suppose coming into this kind of ceremony space and people being celebrants and it definitely being a more personal vocation. um, What was your feeling around coming in and then being in the space? What was your feeling kind of being in the space? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I guess, and I'm not saying that just because I'm here. (laughs) You know, like truly this is, this is one of my favorite groups to do training for because I think, I do, as you said, I do a lot of trainings yeah. um, and, you know, at various different kinds of levels and speeds and pitches and with various different kinds of, you know, needs behind it. Um, and sometimes it's, I guess, maybe a slightly less engaged kind of audience or more, more of a, a maybe sort of a tick box exercise or something that's, you know, one person has proposed in their organization, or their workplace and not there's not a huge amount of buy in from other people or whatever it might be, um, which is all, you know, fine. And then I think when I certainly when I came here at first, I was not at all sure what to expect. And I, I guess I wasn't sure what to expect in terms of, um, you know, we talk about like, and I, and I always say it at the start of trainings to to the, my training participants is, is like, I'm not expecting you to show up with the knowledge. Like you don't need the knowledge. I just need you to come ready to learn and willing to learn. And like ideally also with the, with the values in place, um, yes. you know, that, that, you, that you do care and you do want to know and you want to understand and you want to be able to empathize, but you don't need to know what it is to be trans because you don't, if you're not trans, you don't know what it is to be trans. I'm like, that's fine. And I don't know what it is to be anybody that's not me. And that's okay. Um, and so I think in a, in, a, in a sort of maybe kind of parallel way, you know, I was coming into this as someone who has, you know, I guess kind of grown up in, a, in an Ireland that didn't really have a huge amount of like non-religious wedding ceremonies at a super basic level. I was like, I don't know what to expect from yeah. this sort of training session because I don't actually know what a wedding ceremony looks like that is trans-inclusive. And I actually don't know how to communicate around what that should be because I'm finding it really hard to imagine it. Um, and it has come at a really great time for me as well because I, um, a few months ago I got engaged. My partner and I got engaged. Um, you know, and, and, and that really forced me to confront a lot of things of like, well, actually, I don't know what I, what I, what I want our wedding to look like yeah. because I actually can't imagine what that should look like or could look like and all the different ways. And so over the course of the training sessions that we've done here, I think it has morphed a little bit for me into less of a, I'm here to deliver the training, which I am, and more into like a knowledge exchange, as Karen can attest, <laughs> that I come here and, you know, we do, we do the training and then there's always questions for me about like, well, what, what would you guys recommend <laughs> as someone who is maybe planning a wedding? Um, and that's really useful. And I, th- and I think it's, I think it allows us to come into a space um, almost as, as sort of co-creators of, of the training and of the knowledge yes. um, and to kind of share in the knowledge. And I think what is also really special to me about doing these sessions is that, um, you know, Karen is so generous with the time and there are so many organizations that I go to that are, because everybody's so busy and everybody's work is so important that they say like, we have an hour, we have max 90 minutes, you know, we just need you to come in and deliver the information, take five questions and get out. And, you know, and, and I can understand why that happens, but I think for me, what's wonderful is the like the slow down kind of pace of this. And there's been days where I come here and I'm here, we're here for like mm. three or four hours. Sometimes. And I'm so glad. I feel like you're so generous <laughs> with your time, Dara. I'm like, but oh I'm, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and I'm so glad to do it because and, and it's, so, it's so refreshing for me to be able to come in and, and we, you know, when we sit in a circle and we have a conversation uh, and I have obviously material to deliver, but it, it is more of a conversation. And I always try to approach training sessions as much as I can of saying like, I'm here to, as you said, to give you a little bit of a view into what's happening for trans people in Ireland. Like, what is it like to be trans? I can speak from my own personal experience. And then what's it like around some of the Ireland kind of context? 
And to be able to just have it as more as a, of a dialogue, I think is really useful um, when you have that kind of time. And when you have that kind of engagement from people is just wonderful. And you can you can always see with groups here that people are not just checked. It generally people mm. are not just checked out, which sometimes they are in other in other training sessions. Um, yeah, so I just think it's it's been it's a it's a much more engaged and in depth kind of session that we do here that I think is really useful, um, and also as you said around um, I really love that the pieces around it's not sometimes I, I find it kind of tra- challenging I guess in the line of work that I'm in which is obviously around advocacy is that so much of the conversation about inclusion is about like well, how can we tack inclusion onto the thing that we are already doing so like how can we take for example in this context I guess like a wedding ceremony and just like introduce some gender inclusive language and like that'll all be fine. Yes. Mm. Instead of saying like, well, actually, how are we doing the deeper work of understanding mm. how does gender function in this ceremony yep. and how does gender function in marriage? And like, what are the problematic is a gentle word, mm. but like, or, mm. or like oppressive histories that are part of this and how can we change that not only and then then obviously in this ceremony and in our work but then also in terms of like how we think about gender in the world and i think there's just um i I just really am glad to see within this space that there's such a commitment there to it's not just about the work that you do it is also about like how we think about the world because you don't stop you know having that kind of mindset when you leave your work i hope it's not like a nine to five kind of thing um Whereas I think in, in a lot of other training sessions that I do, it's about like, well, how can we implement this in the workplace or how can we implement yeah. this in this service or this organization or whatever it is? And we don't think about what does this mean for me or for my family or for my friends? And like, you might not think about it. And, you know, fair enough if you don't, but like you might come to like a, say a training session and think about it in relation to this narrow context in your work or your whatever it is. And then you might not think about it again until like someone in your family comes out yeah. and then it all comes kind of crashing down in a more personal way. Whereas I think when you're able to kind of engage with it in a more, in a deeper way and do that sort of work of like trying to learn and understand and unlearn how gender works and the lessons that we all got as children and as adults and the things that the judgments we all make on each other all the time, um, you know, and, and, and creating more like building more compassion and more empathy. Um, I think it goes a long way towards like creating, as you said, the change that we want to see in the world, not just in our, ceremonies but in the world yep. um, mm-hmm. which i think is just a wonderful like commitment that you have here Yay. my applause to you oh well thank you but it's amazing to hear that back as well because that's one of the things i think and the word performative is in the back of my mind because it is so completely never performative we do not want people who are doing performative inclusivity and you know i'll do blah 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 and then i go back and i go back to my norm my normal world and i i say whatever i like like we get people before they even join the training they sign an intake form where they say, I commit to challenging heteronormativity in the wedding world and in my life, wherever and however I can. Mm-hmm. Understanding that people can't always do it and it might not, you know, but, but that that commitment is there that people will actually make a stand. Um, and and because and that's, that's what being an ally is about as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't claim to be an ally if you're not going to actually get uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, re, as an organization... And actually, I only put out a thing of it the other day about Pride. Um, we're talking about, you know, um, putting the Pride Pride events for next year into the diary because we're wedding celebrants. And very often, if we don't put them in the diary a year in advance, yep. everybody will have a wedding because they're Saturdays in June and July and yep. August. Um, but if we are an organization that is genuine about this, we need to put these dates. And, and I don't mean it's not, and again, not in a performative way, to be an ally, to be allies that show up and are there actually in, a, in the capacity as Pride as protest and pride as solidarity, and pride as um, all of those pieces that are not just about performativeness, but 
at the same time that the onus is never on the LGBTQ plus people in our organization to show up for prides. Mm. That it's not about that. It's not, you know, that it's about people standing alongside and, and allyship. And I think it's too easy sometimes for people to go, well, that's for those people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is not understanding what pride is about as well. Mm-hmm. That people have their own relationship with pride, even as an event and that there's, as an event, as a, as a, as a whole thing. Um, and that is nobody else's business. But if, if as an organization, we are going to be working with clients from the LGBTQ plus community um, throughout the year, and, and, and I mean in a capacity where, where people are paying for their ceremonies and that, we need to be genuine about showing up in support of those people mm. and not just being like, oh, on my, on my social media, I'm all about inclusivity and la la la, mm. and here's a pride flag, but, you yeah. know. So, it's about doing the harder work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I feel like I'm up there going, but, but I am. I'm not going to apologize for that because someone that's the has point. to do it. But that's it. Fergie. That's <laughs> the point of this organization. There's plenty of organizations that just do mm. weddings. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we don't want to be that. We want to be I so think much it, more. It's, it's really meaningful as well to have organizations who say like our engagement with the LGBT community or whatever is through, say, weddings. Right. And this is this is the work that we do. And this is how I might, you know, engage this community or whatever it is. Um, and like the only LGBT people that I know are people who come to me to get married, whatever, fine. But then it's so meaningful to me to see like, well, actually pride, yeah, and we could talk to the cast. Oh, yes. yeah, 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 I know, I know there's also the you know, whatever, but, but, but I guess at its surface, pride is, is an opportunity for people to come together, as you said, in solidarity, um, to speak about what is happening for LGBTQ plus people in Ireland, um, and then for allies to, to be there and to support that and to just physically show up in numbers and to intake some of what is happening. And I think it's just so meaningful to see like that you have that engagement and you have that kind of like within the, again, within the confines of the work, like this is, this is what we're doing, but then also we're going to show up for you, you know, and, and we're going to show up for you in terms of what's happening for you as a community. And it's not just about, you know, you can, you can, it, it's a transactional thing of like, you give us money and we will marry you. Yeah. But it's also mm-hmm. about like, how can we engage with your community and with what's happening for your community in Ireland? And how can we like physically be there as a support? And I, and I think there's something that's so important around that and around, you know, being there present with each other and kind of being there sort of in the humanity with each other that makes it much more meaningful than, as I said, like just doing social media. And yeah. I, I mean, there's pros to social media and all that kind of stuff too. And I know there's loads of people yeah, who I mean, visibility, you know, that, yeah, yeah, for absolutely. all kinds of reasons and all that kind of stuff too. But I think there's something about that sort of like, I'm here with you, like walking with you, shoulder yeah. to shoulder, whatever it yeah. is. Um, that's really sort showing of up for you. Yeah. 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 And, and we did say that as well, cishet, able-bodied people, because also don't want to be, the march is quite yeah. intense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, physically intense yeah. and psychologically intense and yeah. all sorts of, you know, so people with neurodivergence and all those various different sure. things. Um, but also I love that even having you in from Tenny as well um, is a way for us to support the work that mm. Tenny does in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's mm-hmm. a way of, you know, giving back as well and, and keeping the money turning in the world too, mm-hmm. like financial support for everybody. And yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just all really, really important. Yeah, yeah. it is. I think we could let you talk all night. Yeah. I have a list of things <laughs> to jump into. But I think for this episode, I'd love to wrap up with just a little bit from you, Dara, about what are the trans and non-binary issues in let's say just Ireland at the moment. <laughs> uh, I know that that's probably an hour conversation. It is, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, will I ask this question? But I think it's important to ask this question. And just to make 
the question longer. Um, <laughs> I suppose following what we were just talking about, how can we show up daily for our mm. trans and non-binary siblings? Um, yeah, so this is just a short, easy. Yeah, I just thought I'd give you a light one to finish off. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I guess in terms of what are the issues in Ireland? So starting from the top, like the number one issue is healthcare yeah. across the board. Like totally. So glad we got to healthcare actually, because it would mm-hmm. be a shame. Yeah. To, to not. Yeah. Um, like Ireland is, I think in many ways, a country that has made a huge amount of progress in the last number of decades. And, and in many ways, it's a country that it's, it's a great country to be trans in, in lots of ways, um, especially compared to some of our neighbors. But, um, you know, there are really specific areas where Ireland is is failing and healthcare is, is one. Um, and I think when I say healthcare, actually, I should say particularly what I mean is gender affirming healthcare, which is, okay. you know, which, which means like access to hormone replacement therapy for people who want it and access to gender affirming surgery for people who want it. Um, and Ireland has the worst healthcare system. In terms of gender-affirming healthcare, Ireland has the worst healthcare system across like all of the EU states. We have worse access to gender-affirming care than loads of countries that I guess we might think of as being like less kind of socially accepting of trans people. Lots of countries that have much more um, kind of intense um, social norms around gender. Lots of countries that have like much worse um, legal gender recognition still have better access to healthcare than we have. Um, and this is part of research that was done by Transgender Europe um, in 2022. And um, for anybody who's interested, it's um, the Transgender Europe TGEU. Uh, I think it's called like the Trans Healthcare Map. Um, and it's really interesting, kind of the, looking at the sort of parameters at which they scored different countries on. And we, as I said, we came dead last. Um, and so the reason that great we, job, Ireland. Yeah, great job, Ireland. <laughs> you know, um, and the reason that we come that, we, that our healthcare system is so poor here is that um, on one hand there is no healthcare access or route for young people under 18. And we used to have a sort of a clinic that was running here and there used to be kind of like little sorts of ways that you could get into healthcare um, for for young people. And usually what that might mean is access to say puberty blockers or access to hormone therapy as it's appropriate on like a kind of a case by case basis. Um, And and currently there is no route at all for that in Ireland. Um, And trans young people in Ireland have absolutely no access to healthcare. They have very limited, if not no access to mental health support on the basis of their gender identity. Um, and so we are seeing a huge crisis in terms of um, youth mental health in Ireland for trans young people. Um, trans young people are exponentially higher risks. I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but exponentially higher risks for self-harm and for suicide. Um, and, and a lot of that is compounded by the fact that there is no healthcare access and they know there is no healthcare access because they're all savvy mm. and they're all mm. on the internet and they all, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, and then the other problem is that in terms of adult, the adult pathway um, there is a 10-year wait list currently for oh. adults trying to access gender affirming care and and actually it's actually a 10-year wait list for adults trying to access hormone replacement therapy only there is nobody doing any gender affirming surgeries publicly in ireland and so again when you wow and, 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 right but hormone replacement therapy should be easily prescribed am i right or wrong reasonably so, <laughs> so hormone therapy is easily prescribed um gps can and do prescribe hormone therapy to cisgender people Yes. Sort of all the time, maybe not as much as we would yeah. like, but certainly for like menopausal women, for example, and um, are able to access hormone therapy. It's this men who have low testosterone are able to access hormone therapy. There's nothing medically different about prescribing mm. to trans people than there is to cis people. Um, but because of the way the healthcare system is structured at the moment, and, and I, I think also interestingly because of the way that um, medical insurance works, um, a lot of GPs feel that it's not part of their remit to prescribe to trans people. And so all, all of our... Um, trans healthcare, pretty much all of our trans healthcare is funneled through like this one clinic that we have, um, which causes a bottleneck. 
which is part of the reason that the waitlist is so long. Um, and then there's also kind of a variety of sort of, I would say, ideological issues within the kind of mm. care that they're that they're running within the clinic. Um, and to me, a 10 year waitlist means that like this 10 service years, I mean, 10 is months is long. 10 months is too long. Mm. Yeah. 10 years means that the service is unavailable yeah, as far as yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what you're looking at is you can't join that waitlist until you're 18. I was going to ask you that. So, so that's 10 years from 18. 10 years from 18. So you might as well just say you have to wait your 28. Yes. And, and, and for your first appointment. And then it's probably oh, like a year Darren. until you actually have a prescription after that. So like it's, it's, it, it, is a, it is a scale of... Ineptitude. Ineptitude and incompetence that is mind-blowing. Um, so so it's, it's truly like there is, there is no issue to compare it with mm. in terms of the, mm. the, for trans people in Ireland. Like it is, the, it is the most, it is the biggest problem. And I think it's also like the, the thing that we materially need the most is access to healthcare because it informs how we, our relationships with ourselves, it informs our mental health, it informs our physical health, it informs our ability to, you know, live healthy, healthy and happy and fulfilling so there's lives. There's pretty much no value placed on trans health, the, on the health of trans people no. in this country. If yeah. you happen to be trans, yeah. You happen to be just writing yourself, and I'm not writing yourself. I don't mean it, but the, the yeah. healthcare system is going to write you off, yeah, as not valuable, not valuable. And, and and but the other really salient point is that it's also a class issue, right? Because there there yeah. are uh, there are routes privately to this healthcare, mm. either in Ireland or in clinics abroad. If you can travel, if you have the kind of passport yeah. that will allow you to travel, yeah. if you can access healthcare in a different country, and so there's a, and if you support probably as if well, you support, yeah. Right? Yeah. and so we're seeing it in 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 almost the exact same way that we saw. Um, issues around access to abortion services and, and, the, and the way that the, the that the ban on abortion services functioned pre-repeal um, is that it's, it completely stratifies the community into people who can afford to travel for healthcare, who can afford to go private mm-hmm. for healthcare and people who cannot. Mm-hmm. And it, it yeah, the, the material impacts on that are so huge and the costs around private healthcare are so huge. And I'm obviously at a point in my life where I'm thinking about, for example, getting married or buying a house. Yep. And when you're looking at... <laughs> The yeah. amount of money that people are putting into medical transition is typically equal to like a house deposit. Yeah. So That's which do you insane. choose? So which do you choose? Right. Yeah, and, that and, is insane. and who has that kind of money anyway? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's so a struggle anyway. It's a struggle yeah. for anyone. Yeah. You know, and, and then you're looking at trans people who face like really high rates of unemployment, really high rates of precarious employment, like a huge amount of discrimination across the workplace and across recruitment. Like it is just it's a it's a real when when you look at how healthcare has an impact all of those areas mm. and when you look at like if there was one thing that you could fix and it was healthcare it would the yeah. the ripple effect would just be huge mm. in terms of our health and well-being um and, and in terms of the the mental health the community health in terms of our rights within employment like all of that kind of stuff and so much of it is based around um around the rights of the individual which is very difficult as well so healthcare is the biggest issue um okay. in terms of youth and in terms of adults. Um, but I mean, there's loads of other problems too. So, right, like there, we yeah. need a complete reform around the Gender Recognition Act. Um, the Gender Recognition Act currently is, um, it doesn't include non-binary people, so there's no non-binary legal recognition. So we're advocating for, for that. Um, to have some kind of non-binary passport essentially available, um, huge amount of debate about what that should look so like. So you have to choose one or the other. So yeah, so currently yeah. you have to choose male or female um, on your passport. Um, and obviously on your birth cert and on all your other documents, not your driving license. Oh, can your driving license doesn't list gender. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So which is, you know, ideal for some of us. Um, but yeah, so this is a huge issue around the non-binary legal recognition. And then the other issue with the legal recognition is that there's very, very limited access for under 18s. So for under 18s to access legal gender recognition, which basically means for them to have a, 
to change the gender that's listed on their passport and on their birth cert and on whatever other documents they have um, requires a clinical psychology assessment and a referral and it also requires a court order from family court and the family court system is a mess mm. in this country so it's super expensive I think I was talking to a parent recently who said that they had costed it because it was going to require a barrister it was going to cost them like 3,000 wow. euro and take like maybe a year to do which right so it's and, and then once you turn 18 it's really easy it's just a form you fill out and you yeah, have it okay. witnessed and notarized and you send it off and you get back to gender recognition. It's really, really straightforward. So again, we're trying to like, we would be really advocating for streamlining that process for young people and that it should be based around the consent of the young person, the consent of the parents, like many and other decisions already lifetime. are. Yeah, those years in a teenage, yeah. in, a, in a young person's life are equal to 20 years yeah. as an adult. Like, right. yeah, they're yeah. crucial years. And they're also crucial years, I think, as well, in terms of when when you look at, you know, even, even like 16, 17, 18 year olds who are looking at, you know, maybe finishing school, maybe applying for college, maybe applying for jobs for the first time, maybe traveling abroad mm-hmm. for college, mm-hmm. like yeah. all of these things that you need to show your legal ID for. And if you're trans, that requires you to come out as trans in all of those time. places yeah. every single time. And that's such a vulnerable position to put anybody in, yeah. let alone in a 17 year old or 18 yeah. year old. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, yeah, it's, it's so frustrating. And we're, we're really letting young trans people down in this country um, at the moment. And, and it's, yeah, as I said again, the, the crisis around youth mental health is is just staggering. Um, so there's loads of other things that we could talk about. We could talk about mm. sports if we wanted to. We could, we, yeah, we could, I think we need like on. a whole episode a series. and a whole <laughs> series. Yes, I'll just, um, I'll just be here alone talking into the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> we're happily. Yeah, <laughs> well, I hope that you will you're, come you're back and chat to us because I know that there's so many other areas that we can inform people on mm. and get more information on. Um, but I think. Well, thank you for today. Thank yeah. you for coming in. And thank you so much for coming in late in the evening as well. I know. Dara, you're amazing. It's that was for me. Anybody, but I would do it for yeah, you. Yeah, I couldn't uh, believe it. I, I, I voice noted uh, Dara yesterday. I was like, uh, just checking in. Da, 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 da. And um, I couldn't believe it. He came back and said, yeah, I'm yeah. up for it. I was like, oh, amazing. Yes. yes. Brilliant. Yep. No, thank you. We really appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully you'll come back soon. Yes, absolutely. Um, Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> we need to probably come up with a way of saying yeah. goodbye that like fits, but for now, <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>